0: Hi, I'm Michael McDonnell. I am the Cybersecurity Librarian. Welcome to another Morrow and Mike Threat Intel Stream 2020 edition. Hey, Morrow. (laughs) How are you doing?
1: Hey, Michael. (laughs) I'm doing
0: pretty good yourself. (laughs) Doesn't it seem like every time we do one of these Threat Intels, we think, oh, it's going to be fun. We're just going to chat about the news. And then Mm. we pick a story and go, that, Mm. that's as bad as it can get in a month. And then uh-huh. by the time showtime arrives, it's, yeah. it's like yeah, you, it, you, yeah,
1: it, it surpassed that old news. And it, it, but you know when you collectively look at it, you're like, wow, uh, I, th- I think this is the end of the world now. <laughs> 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 Anyways, hey folks. So uh, hey, thank we're back. You know after a month long hiatus, uh, you. We apologize. You know, we needed to take a break. We had a lot of things that were happening and things that we were building in the background. So that's the reason why we were out for uh, for a month. And uh, you know, we'll get into some of that uh, towards the end of the show and explain what's happening. But um, great, great to see you all here. Uh, great to have you all here. Please uh, like, like always, right? Uh, if you have uh, any comments or questions, feel free to use the chat. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll hopefully have a great show
0: tonight. So. Um yeah uh so this is this episode is special not super special right like not on a very special blossom this is this is uh but th- we're making some changes to the show uh, we'll we'll probably mm-hmm. go into detail later but um there's a reason why we came back from hiatus on threat intelligence so we've had um two or three of these before Uh, We're gonna. uh, Chris McNeil is gonna join us. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Uh, um, Alec Mather Shapiro is going to be on it, uh, but I didn't schedule the meeting in time, and he has a family, and so he's going to do family things. Um, uh, We're going to talk, as we always do, about what's in the news. Try to analyze it. um, Go beyond the headlines a little bit, but. We're also, toward the end, I'm going to do a little introduction to um, the formal discipline of threat intelligence, and that's because we have a new spin-off project, um, a peer-led training project, and I'll describe that at the end. And so this Threat Intel live stream is actually going to become its own thing, for which we don't have a cool name yet, but by the time the next one, we will. <laughs> um, So I'm going to suggest that, um, you know, we dive right in and, okay, let me bring that up. Oh, yeah. You don't need to see that the world's burning. Let's start with, yeah, let's start here. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Ransomware gangs are now murderers. Mm -hmm. Am I Mm -hmm. overreacting?
1: They're killers. I I don't think so. And, you know, honestly, uh, I think this is going to shine the spotlight on them. And if it's possible, you know, as as countries, I think, collaborate and work more closely together, uh, I think they can bring uh, reasonable charges against these people. Uh, This is clearly manslaughter. Um, Maybe not intended. This was not their intended goal. But
0: nevertheless, this is the result. And, you know, people die. Uh, In some jurisdictions, when you uh, knowingly, willingly and intentionally commit one um, serious crime and someone else gets murdered, even not by you, you're now guilty of murder um, because you had intended to commit a felony crime. Um, So in the U.S., famous examples in law are uh, you go to rob a bank and the security guard tries to shoot you, but he shoots a bystander. You now get convicted of murdering that bystander because you had intentionally robbed a bank. Um, Who knows what's going to happen here. um, And uh, who's the threat actor here? Was it Ryuk? No, Uh, Ryuk is the next one we're going to talk about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ryuk is, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. The UHS, right. But this one account.
0: Yeah, that's it. So, uh, for the audience, um, Doppelpamer is a, a one of the very prominent um, ransomware gangs. Doppelpaymer, is um, uh, they're named after the software they use. Um, they're famous because they were one of the ransomware gangs that ver- got very early into extorting their victims is um, by um, blackmailing them by stealing information. So a couple of years ago ransomware was you know a happy fun time type of thing where, oh, we got ransomware, at least they didn't steal our data. It's not a breach. We'll just pay. But today, if you get ransomware, you have to assume that they didn't just encrypt your data, that in fact, they stole it all and will leak it if you don't pay twice. Doppelpamer was one of the ones who started that trend. And now they're murderers. Um, so what happened in this case is they ran somewhere to hospital and then, um, a patient had to be diverted, uh, while they were in an ambulance on the way to the hospital and diverted to another hospital and they did not make it in time. The patient may have lived had they hit the proper emergency room. Um, am I missing any
2: games? Yeah, try, trying to get some bitcoin and wow, unintended consequences. Who would have thought?
0: Yeah, yeah
1: no. It's uh, uh very very sad, right? Because I mean, this this is an innocent bystander. Uh, you know, got into some sort of I think it was some sort of uh, medical crisis, right? They needed to hit an emergency uh, emergency room and yeah. Mm-hmm. As Michael said, they had to divert them and they didn't make it. So I'm sorry. This is uh this is the pinnacle of uh <laughs> this is the pinnacle of but what happens when,
0: when you're involved in these types of things, right? So I... Um, and as I understand it, they didn't receive... So normally, it, Doppelpamer, not only will you get the ransomware note from the automated ransomware from being encrypted, but then they contact you days later to say, by the way, here's the beginning of our negotiation. Here's how much we want you to pay. And I I don't know if this is the current state, but I think originally there was like, yeah, no one contacted us. And yeah. the minute, I mean, if I'm a cowardly criminal, mm-hmm. I'm probably just going to let this one lie after I'm wanted yeah. for murder. Yeah. So
1: like, from what I understand though, I, I think their initial target was a university and they accidentally hit this hospital mm-hmm. and then the authorities informed them, Hey, this is not a, ho- this is not a university. This is a hospital. And someone saw, you know, people are going to die if you don't do something. So from what I understand, they, they took that route and then they gave them the decryption keys after they realized what they've done. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, the deed is already done. Someone died
0: and that's their fault. So yeah, um, and the attack vector was the well-known um, uh, Citrix that's remote um, vulnerability. Uh, I think this was actually in another story um, that isn't in my list um for this week that they're not the only ones being hit with that um uh you guys got anything else you want to say about this before we move on to the next
1: yeah i think the next one ties into this theme really.
0: yeah Also, it's like yeah like a week later after that hospital in germany gets hit um a hospital chain in the united states gets hit with ransomware um and um, what was the first you guys heard of this? Was it through like the six o'clock news, the security news or social media or what? Like yeah, Chris, no, I... where did you hear this one first?
2: I think it came up in my Google feed first. Okay. Moro.
1: Yeah, for me, it's actually a bleeping computer. I have it so it opens uh, whenever I open my browser. And uh, as soon as I saw that, I was like, ooh. (laughs) And that's really only a few weeks away from, you know, when that whole German incident happened as well, right? So, and it's kind of a scary thought because, you know, if hospitals are not overburdened by COVID already, now they've got this to contend with. And, man, this is just a complete disaster if you ask me. So,
2: this would be um, bad enough in a good in a good day. This would be terrible to happen, oh, yeah. but to have it happen during a pandemic. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Oh exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um do you guys remember at the at the beginning of um the pandemic, there was um one of the ransomware gangs came up and made a certain you know, basically a press release saying, Don't worry, we won't extort any hospitals um yeah. during this yeah. pandemic. It's like yeah. give me a break. No. they're
1: opportunistic man i'm sorry every organized it's organized crime for a
0: reason right they're
1: looking to exploit every situation they can right? so
0: um so the first i heard of this one was actually in a reddit post um and there was um uh, someone who worked um for this hospital chain or a related entity and basically said um like a dozen people had already died overnight because of um um, uh, delays to service and lack of service. Now, that's not being attributed in the public, like with the German one. So in Germany, the authorities immediately said, yes, this death is because of the ransomware. We're pressing charges in this one that I haven't seen that happen. But people behind the scenes are going, yeah, people are dying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, so this is um, Riek Ryuk? Ryuk. Ryuk.
1: So, uh, just so you guys know the context of that name, it's actually a character in a Japanese anime called Death Note. He's actually a death oh. god.
0: Yeah. It, okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell mm-hmm. you this. There's a couple people who watch this feed who do work in healthcare. Um. And uh, the very first security assessment I ever did was actually for healthcare. Um, organization here, and I was at the time um, building these PACS systems. Um, patient archive—they they hold patient patient images. You know, you you go get an X-ray, that gets stored on a PACS system. You go get an MRI, it's stored in a PACS system. You go get a PET scan, it's on a PACS. Every medical image goes onto a PACS, and it's a huge, huge volume of data, growing constantly. And um there's a lot of ways you can lose access, even if those storage systems don't get ransomware, um, which they probably wouldn't. There's some specialized protocols there um, in some cases. Um if the systems that access the packs, so in radiation treatment, there would be a radiation treatment planning terminal, and your oncologist and your physician, and maybe a medical physicist or something, they all get around they sit around the terminal and they take a look at, you know, a tumor and they say, okay, this is, this is the radiation treatment plan. We're going to shoot a beam radiation around here. So we don't damage real tissue. Well, if that gets ransomware, you're done. And if um, say the, the the terminals that all the physicians use in their treatment rooms and, and, you know, patient meeting rooms, um, if those all get ransomware, windows terminals, well, that PACS data is effectively not. Uh, touchable anymore and it doesn't it doesn't help. Um, and I have seen pack systems design that had a regular Samba interface to get at the files and if that's the case, they could easily be ransomware. Um, so this this sort of scared me. And here's the thing is this means so pack systems can be backed up, but I'm not sure what if there's a standard for that. When I was doing them, there was no standard and not all of our packs were backed up. They were just considered too large. We we had done oh, an, wow. I was working in an experimental stuff. So we built our own packs. We didn't buy a commercial system and then we built our own backup for the packs. And that was considered oh, wow. unusual. So I'm like, <laughs> if these get, get ransomware, they may have to pay, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the current state is. If someone else in the audience knows, let us know in the comments like if you know do pack systems get backed up today anyway
2: correct me if i'm wrong i've never worked with a pack system before but my understanding is is that The obvious answer would be, why aren't they air-gapped? Why are are they on the network, connected, everything else? But my understanding is that these PAC systems are used to send the medical images back and forth to outside agencies, to your family doctor, to other specialists. And that's why they inherently have to be connected and can be exposed to ransomware.
0: It's true. Um, So uh, PAC systems historically use um, this thing called DICOM, uh, D A D I A C O M. And it's it's a crazy thing if you're a developer or a sysadmin and you discover DICOM, you want to pull your hair out. Because at first you're like, oh, DICOM's the file format for the images. And it's got a bunch of metadata and stuff. That's cool. Then you realize, no, you read the spec and DICOM is also the file transfer protocol. Oh. And it's the image format. And it's the authentication protocol. And oh, wow. a bunch of other stuff that I can't bother describing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was built in a different place in time. And so sometimes the pack system is just running DICOM protocol. And I think that would be a challenge to ransomware without some effort. Um, but in other cases, these are DICOM files stored on something else. Like when I built them, they were Linux file servers that supported NFS, DICOM, and Samba. Um, so you know depending I on think what our
2: last threat intel stream we talked about a vulnerability within the dicom system file transfer slash uh for a file format
0: yeah i, I, I think i'd those... hinted at this um this report from a year ago where um i think vpn mentor had reported um about doing a scan for publicly exposed pack systems and then um it's a scary thing to do if you go to Shodan and do a search. Just say show the the exposed ports for um, DICOM and PAC systems. You find tons. And many of them don't have any authentication requirement or trivial authentication requirements. Um, yeah, that's that's what I meant. Um, yep. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you DICOM the DICOM by DICOMing it. Yep. Dog, I heard you like Dicom, so I put some Dicom in your <laughs> DICOM. <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, okay, uh, move, moving on, because if this wasn't uh, the tire fire of the world, that people are dying in two separate instances weeks apart um, because of ransomware. Um, I think the conclusion I'm drawing is that... Um, I'm sure people have died because of cyber attacks before we've just never attributed it and now the attribution is right in our face leading me to to rename our episode um to it's the cyber librarian says it's about damn time um let me lead out to this oh yeah and, and then, then I'm going to lead into why it's about damn time. So it's about damn time we start realizing that the level of threat and the intensity of threat is enormous and that the attackers have gone a step too far. And it's probably already been past that step. Um, earlier in our previous um, Threat Intel live streams, we talked about how um, ransomware gangs like Maze Cartel Um, Alex's not here tonight, but Alec, um, uh, his, you know, pet threat actor that he likes to follow is Maze Cartel because they started basically going to other ransomware gangs and saying, let's pool our resources. You've got good malware. You've got good processes. You guys really know how to put the hurt on people. Let's extort them and bleed every penny from them. No mercy. Um, And they made a cartel. Well, Revil's no different except now what Revil's doing is basically saying, hey, we're putting a million dollars aside to help recruit more people to be part of REVIL. Come to us, we've got the money, you're gonna be more profitable. They're like the venture capitalists. Now, again, this is just like throwing in our face that it's gone way, way too far. Oh, way yeah. too far. Sure. Um, oh yeah. And this leads to, this is, this is to me huge, Moro. You you brought this up before the live stream as well. <laughs> yeah. So the U.S. government came out today,
1: or maybe it was yesterday, and they literally said, "Look, you know, if you are in the business of paying off these uh, these threat actors after they're you know ran- you know holding you for ransom, and or if you are an organization that will help pay off the ransomware." you are going to be under the microscope of the U.S. government and they can throw you in jail and fine you and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So very important. Now, if you read further into the article, they kind of mention the fact that, you know, there are a ton of data breaches that happen every day, every week, every year. Uh, For the most part, the majority of them don't even actually um, make it to the surface in terms of news, Mm -hmm. let alone uh, get disclosed to the government. And that's actually a huge detriment to the whole process, because now we don't actually understand how how that breach happened, uh, how they how they operated and what 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 occurred. All uh, information that's very important for uh, for guys like us that are trying to do threat analysis and understand these threat actors. So I think essentially what the U.S. government is saying is, look, we realize that you got to save face and reputation. But, you know, honestly. Paying off these actors, it's just encouraging them. Like like you saw in that last article with Revil, they just dropped a million dollars onto a forum, like a hacker forum, without even blinking. It's like, here's the Bitcoin, we deposited it. We don't even care because we're gonna use this to hire more more um, more more people to help us. And yeah, this is really in a response to that and saying, hey, look, you pay that ransomware, this is what happens. They it's it, it's emboldened them to 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 go after everybody now. So I, 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 agree with you, Michael. I think this was something that was needed very, very long time ago. It's about damn time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the reality is, you know what? I think some of that also is uh, stigma. We got to break that stigma. Right. Uh, I think it's something like, you know, um, and I don't want to generalize it or compare it to, as the same thing. But if you remember uh, like neurological diseases and things of that nature, like, you know, um, mental health. It was, it was pretty much a taboo almost 20 years ago, if not even 10 years ago. Now we start to recognize and say, Hey, you know, it's okay. You got to get help. And I think, you know, organizations have to realize the same thing just because you got breached doesn't mean, you know, you were, you know, you're, you're the only person that it's the end of the world. Uh, if anything, you know, you gotta, you gotta stand firm. You, you know, it sucks. I, I totally agree. And I, I absolutely, um, you know, my sympathies, right. But, uh. At the same time, you, you've got to report that you've got to help, you gotta help the system. Cause I mean, honestly, like the bad guys are are getting organized, they're sharing data, they're sharing information, they're sharing tactics. Mm-hmm. And for us not to do the same thing is crippling us, it's not helping us be better at, at this game. So yeah, this is something that's long overdue. And you know, again. It- I think we got to get rid of that stigma. I think we got to quit bashing people on LinkedIn by posting, "Hey, look at this. Such and such got breached, dumb whatever, blah 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 admins whatever. We got to stop doing that. We got to encourage people, "Hey, you got breached. Let's let's help uh, us as a cybersecurity uh, community. Let's help." Right?
0: So um I'd like to uh, take a little bit of a tangent on this too, um you know, because some people in our audience um um, are familiar with these nude items, but they don't know in detail how some of the decisions go into whether, like, why are people paying ransom? Um, in, so there was a case um, um, also last month. Um, I think it was a university in Utah, or Idaho or some, one of these places whose names I just assume are all the same. Um, uh, the, a university got ransomware and they had backups. Um, and they still paid half a million dollars in ransom. And many people in the audience right now are scratching their head going, why the UK? That's just nuts. They were advised by their insurance company, who was the one covering it. You know, if you have uh, good cyber insurance, you might have access to a breach coach. Um, They're going to help you um, work with the negotiation. They'll direct you to an incident response firm, that sort of stuff. It's it's um, if you have a good tier cyber insurance package, there's a good thing to have when you get, when the big one hits. And in this case, the cyber insurer said, "No, pay a half a million dollars. We got you." That doesn't make sense, right? That's why this is about damn time. Um, but what I want to do as a tangent is just say, there's there's a there's a reason that goes behind that. In this case because Maze Cartel and Revil and others now steal your data, don't tell you they've stolen it, encrypt all your data, then demand payment to decrypt. Then what they do is they start leaking data and saying, if you don't pay us again, we're going to leak the data we stole. And, you know, this is actually the good part. They may actually take your data, not tell you, and do something later. Mm -hmm. So the insurance companies now will say, well even though you can recover from your backups really easily, you better pay because, and they'll do a risk calculation and say, if those records do get breached, it's going to cost on average, this many dollars per record or per user. And it's going to cost way more than a half a million. It's going to cost 10 million, 50 million. So it's better to pay the half a million and the insurance company, they look at it, they're on the hook for it and they just say, okay, this is just a good this is good risk and i cannot fault that when it's in a microcosm when it's just the one organization and just the insurance company together up against the adversary and the thing is most ransomware people are playing a really good game where they don't leak the data they might turn it over to the gru and there's some evidence for that but they're not going to leak it publicly so the rant you know so the ransomware people or sorry, the insurance people think it's a good bet. And that's the problem. And that's why this law is needed, because there needs to be an additional part of the risk formula that says this isn't being done in isolation, because if we we keep making that risk calculation individually, it's bad for all of us. There's an interdependency between us. If that university pays, it means every university is now at much greater risk and will have to pay. And every time we pay, we mm-hmm. are investing in the future of these cyber criminal enterprises. And at Absolutely. a phenomenal rate, what would you, would you, wouldn't you just love it if one day your cyber insurer went to your company and said, I'll tell you what, we'll just give you half a million dollars. It's cheaper than paying later. And that would probably be true too. Um, so <laughs> in this case, what's happening is the U.S. Treasury Department... This isn't the FBI. It's not Department of Homeland Defense. It's not um, a state government. It's the Treasury Department under their mission, under the Office of Foreign Assets Control. They're the ones saying, wait, you can't do business with criminals. You cannot give money to a criminal. We wouldn't let you give money to a terrorist. And in many cases, there are a few of these ransomware gangs that actually do ransomware to raise money to buy weapons, absolutely, um, absolutely. fund, yeah. And so it's just bad. All and this has been coming a long time. Uh, the Department of Treasury has been um, uh, talking about doing something like this forever. And so this isn't enough, but it is a good way fun. to promote wise decisions. And it's about damn time.
2: Yeah, let's just be clear that they're specifically targeting the companies that are facilitating the transfer of the funds. So it's for us in security, that includes people like digital forensics and incident response. If you're doing that calculation for a company and you're saying, hey, time to pay up. If you're not going through that process of uh, making sure that the Treasury Department is aware, if you're not broadcasting, if you're not declaring the breach, that's when you're going to get hammered by this. Yeah, Trying to keep it secret and under the table.
0: What yeah. this is going to mean is that insurance companies have a whole new um, way of giving their advice and breach coaches have to take something into impact. It's, it's, it's going to make everyone reconsider their own risk yeah. formula. Yeah. And I think more, yeah. I don't know what the thing is, but I know more has to come in this way. Yeah, I know. And, so, and uh, James uh, says, you know, this is like Um, Way back, kidnap and recovery um, had problems. And Kyle says, hey, don't companies have um, responsibility for levels of control? And this is the great thing. Uh, This is another side, or maybe it's not. Maybe this is another, it's about time. I would like to see in Canada, instead of there being federal legislation that sets security standards, I'd like to see federal legislation that mandates cybersecurity insurance that you have Mm. to have it and that it has to have certain terms because then what happens is the insurance company is the one who's on the hook to pay has to start saying, um, well, there has to be standards and it's not optional and you don't get to interpret them. Now they as the one who would be on the hook for paying are going to come up with standards and they're good at that, like mandatory seat belts and fire code safety actually works. And that's insurance companies. Um, shout out to my friend at Baker Insurance who taught me all that years ago when I was the president of a condo. Um, and they sorry. Gave- I told, so I'm going to say one last thing. So I know I said
1: they're going to throw you in jail, but it's actually worse. They can actually throw like since it's uh, since it's uh, basically uh, the guys that control money and stuff. They can throw yeah. sanctions on you. And honestly, that's that's something worse than death. Can you imagine having all your assets frozen? You can't do anything. You can't buy food. You can't go anywhere. So trust me, it's worse than jail. <laughs> if you've ever met someone that's, you know, basically in Canada, has the CRA breathing down them and they've frozen yeah. their assets. Yeah. It is not fun. It is not fun at all.
0: So. Um, I have a story here that is the final place I wanted to take this string before we move on to the rest of the tire fire that is 2020. <laughs> um <laughs> but i can't <laughs> ah here it is here it is here it is um uh, so and this is why i i made that sort of aside about um cyber insurance should be mandated because what's happening now is cyber insurances sh- sure um are going to their clients and saying um you n- need to meet these standards and some of them are now saying well mandatory in getting this insurance package. If we're going to pay out for your ransomware, you have to let us assess you. And some of them now have their own scanning services. And there's another story just from a few, this last few days where one of the insurers basically said, um, yeah, we've, we um, uh, will check your RDP connections and make sure they're safe before you access our platform. That was just in the news today or yesterday or something, which is like, it's, it's mind blowing that they're saying, you know, they'd say, okay, well, <laughs> um, you, you know, to deal with us, we're just going to double check that you're safe or you don't, yeah. um, anyways, so, I think uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. I, I, I'm
1: going to say something about this. So, um, many, many moons ago in a different life, uh, where I was working for a construction company. They were actually uh, looking at base. Uh, so the cybersecurity manager, who used to be the systems administration, you know, manager or the infrastructure manager, he actually said, you know, look, we we're buying cyber insurance for the company. It's dirt cheap, but as breaches happen and progress, uh, that insurance is going to become more expensive, and then they'll put in, you know minimum requirements, like your staff have to be security trained, or if you have a CISSP certified person on your staff and you actually have a plan together, we will reduce your insurance costs. So it was actually pretty forward thinking. This is going back to 2016, 2015. And they were like, okay, yeah, we're going to get CISSP
0: certified. The manager's going to get CISSP and all that, all in preparation for that. So yeah, and Kyle pointed out that, um, and this has happened um, more and more often in the last five years. <clears throat> um, uh, some companies will go and say, "Oh my God, we have so much risk. Let's go buy uh, insurance. We'll transfer the risk um, to insurance." And the insurers will come and say, Whoa. "No." <laughs> no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, we're, we're not, not, not going to pay for your crap.
1: I, I've got something to add to that because uh, there was an article that came out a few days ago about um, the source code for Windows XP and 2003 server being released and a guy compiling it and saying, yeah, it's it, the source code is out there now. It's not complete, but you know what? Source code is out there now. It's just a matter of time for the right smart person to figure out all the other bugs in there and then start attacking all those uh, systems that have embedded operating systems. Based on Windows XP, to now get attacked, right? So,
0: uh, whatever we're saying has hit a, a real chord with um, you, the audience, because I, I just see the chat is just is going faster than I can read. Um, this is uh, this is great. Uh, I'll just to throw a hand grenade into the conversation. Um, I don't think it's going to end with insurance companies saying you have to have someone as a CISSP. I think no. it's going to lead to licensing. Um, of uh, certain roles, certain professional roles, yeah. and I'm yeah. I'm ok I'm ok with licensing. And I, but I think if I were a young person, I'd be like, what does that mean? Is it going to get even harder to get into cybersecurity? And I actually think licensing might make it a little bit more straightforward. If you remember from a few live streams ago, we showed that infographic. Um, I might even still have it here. Oh yeah, made this one permanent. This infographic showing the ecosystem of cybersecurity certifications. This is insane. This does not help us. We nope. need this simplified. <laughs> we we do not in, in this this colored scheme is in like offensive security management analyst defensive implementation architecture. It's like there's way too much and it needs to be a simpler path. Maybe licensing will make some of those paths simpler. Europe in some areas in financial services does well, have something like that.
1: I think it'll be more well-defined. I don't know if it'll be simpler. In fact, there'll be I think, specific <laughs> roles, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, you know what, actually that's good for graduates. Cause now, now you actually can focus on a certain, um, uh, train if you want to call it and just, you know, get certified, educated in that certain train, whether it's, you know, in threat intelligence and all that stuff or policymaking and things of that nature. Right. So,
0: um, Okay, I'm gonna tie that all back to why we're doing this spin-off project <laughs> later. But, um, uh, but let's uh, okay. What do you? Where do you want to go next? We have, first of all, we have more, more stories than we can possibly talk about. We're at the forty-minute <laughs> mark. Twenty
2: twenty. Of course, we're at We've got more stories.
0: Oh dude. yeah. Dude. Okay, uh, dude. We,
2: just, okay, but we got we got to cover zero log on, right? Yeah.
0: In let's serious. let's let's skip all yeah. these little ones. You know, um, yeah. oh, this is if, for those of you who are technical, go look up maze running in virtual machines to evade detection. It's not as big of a deal, but well this is this is the this is the okay, so if you saw the the thumbnail for the episode, that's what I thought we were talking about. Like, couldn't get any worse than zero log on. then people died uh who wants to address this chris you want to start with this one or moral go ahead moral no actually i was gonna say i I leave it to you chris because i I did a lot
1: of talking already and i feel like i feel like i'm hogging the limelight and i don't like it
0: (laughs) if no one else goes Um, then i i go by default so
2: (laughs) yeah go go ahead Uh, go ahead michael
0: okay Okay. um I'm not going to go into the into the technical details. What I'm going to do is an analogy. So when um, WannaCry not Petya hit us years ago, that was because of a vulnerability called Eternal Blue. Um, Eternal Blue was um, one of those rare um, vulnerabilities that is a cakewalk. It's like a freebie to attackers. If you expose the port, I I have a very high probability of getting system-level privileges in just a few seconds. Um, When Eternal Blue first came out, um, it was a little unreliable and sometimes would crash the victim. But, um, oh, God bless those pen testers and vulnerability researchers. They just love to make their stuff more reliable. And then they love sharing it. And half of them are criminals um, because you don't know... In a GitHub repository, who's checking it out for the make purposes of making a worm and who's making a vulnerability scanner? Anyways, <laughs> Eternal Blue cost the world billions and billions and caused some of the worst damage in just the space of days. And when zero login came out, it's one of those rare vulnerabilities, just like Eternal Blue, that if your port's exposed, there's a very high probability the attacker can get. System level privileges like that, um, yeah. and not, uh, so not
1: just system level, domain level, man, like oh, domain
0: admin. Oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, so so much worse mm. in that regard. So domain admin, um, in one shot. Um. But the world didn't come to an end, and it didn't even get as bad as um, WannaCry. The worry here is it's wormable. But this, so um, in my own history as a consultant, doing um, many many security assessments and pen tests, um, Eternal Blue is the gift that kept on giving, because I was always guaranteed a like existential threat to the organization as a top. <laughs> Item in my risk report. <laughs> if they had something they hadn't patched, ta-da, and then they would feel that that assessment was very valuable, whether I thought it was or not. Um, zero logon is going to be like that. So zero logon, you know, with Eternal Blue, we just sort of found ways to make those systems um, isolated, etc. Um, so here's the here's the important takeaway with this one. Um, Windows war- Microsoft warned us in advance. This is coming. This is going to be bad. And then they warned us again and said, "There is a proof of concept." Thank you, vulnerability researchers. Your publishing doesn't um, hurt us at all. <laughs> it's very helpful <laughs> you know, to share your published I was,
1: code. I was gonna I was gonna throw that grenade in a little bit later because we were having something that was touching on this topic about you know having tools. And developing tools for security research, the problem is that every time we do this, it gets in the hands of the bad guys, and we're essentially helping them. Uh, you know, with the proof of concept. Now they don't have to do all the dirty work. They can just go there, use the tool the security uh, researcher uh, you know created, modify it a bit, and now it's ready to use. Yeah, it's so, it's a hot
0: topic in our Discord. Um,
1: by the know. way, join it. It is our Discord is super lively, and. I guarantee, you know, you spend like a weekend there or not even a weekend, a weeknight there, you will learn so much, it's ridiculous.
0: There's a bunch of people in the audience who didn't get much sleep last week because we kept starting conversations late and keeping them going later. Uh, The the two sides of this conversation are, look, if a vulnerability exists, it's better to know about it so that you can fix it. But the counter argument being, um, if you publish um, code and make it easy to exploit, then what ends up happening over time is the net benefit is lower than the net cost across it, like take PowerShell Empire. Um, That was great for pen testers to help train their clients' sysadmins and saying, you need to look for these sorts of TTPs and detect these sorts of TTPs because they're real. But the problem was the attackers went and said, Empire's awesome, let's just use that. And now nation state actors use it. And it costs us so much um, to defend against that tool. Um, And this isn't different. So Microsoft warned us to patch and warned us to patch. And then proof of concept exploit came out. And then they're like, you need to patch now. And then um, it started getting used. And they said, you need to patch now and then confusion ensued um, <laughs> about, in any case, when when we as um, IT professionals are put under pressure, and our leaders are trying to make judgments very quickly, and making sure we follow through, uh, justifications are needed, questions get asked, it's very hard to communicate technical risk. Um, and Confusion's a natural result. I'm not blaming anyone on that one.
2: Just
1: gonna say this plug, right? If you're a sysadmin, Windows patching is actually an art. Yeah, I wish it was an easy thing, but it is an art. So, you know, for
0: those of you guys who are Windows sysadmins, props to you, man. <laughs> uh, here's a great question. And uh, I think we're gonna have to do this as a follow-up in Discord sometime. So why don't security reachers contact the involved companies when vulnerabilities are found? They do, um, and there's two sides to that too. So a long time ago, there was a history of vulnerability researchers reporting things and being treated like criminals. That, I think, is fairly rare. It still happens. Um, a lot of people in vulnerability research, while technically um, competent, um, don't understand process, um, may be impatient. Um, and you know, there's countless stories. Like, go to Darknet Diaries and listen to the guys um, who have complaints about what they felt went wrong when they were participating in a bug bounty. Um, The counter side is like often they just don't get it. They don't know what the process is. And it's because companies are bad at also communicating how their processes work to people who might be involved in that. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult challenge for us to solve. Um, um, However, I wanna do two things um, before we wrap up. So first of all, a perfect segue here. We were just talking about how hard it is to communicate risk. Um, And uh, we have a a cool little announcement um, about a new Mike and Morrow special event. that will happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in our discord this week, we had the very great conversation about the challenges we all face as largely in cybersecurity, Technical people who are used to communicating the technical nature of threats in detail to each other. We get good at that. Um, we seek out those technical details to help us make choices. But then it becomes a challenge when we have to talk to non technical leaders, maybe our C suite, maybe our IT director, maybe our CFO or, or a board of directors. And then we have to explain to these decision makers the nature of a cyber threat to enable them to make a good choice. And then we get frustrated. Um, quite often we're faced with, we I, I'm trying to do this quickly. We're doing it under pressure. And we start talking in technical terms where we think we've dummied it down. And it's not that our decision makers are stupid. In fact, often people are on boards of directors because they're really good at dealing with bad news. They're really good at making tough, no-win situation choices. But we're not good at switching gears and talking about that. So uh, Fortinet is a sponsor of B-Sides Calgary. And as that, they get a sponsored talk. And normally that would be a talk about the product or something related. And they came along and said, no, we want to do something that's community led. We want to give that time to the community, and they approached us and said, "Because um, there's a few people there that are fans." Hayne and um, uh said, "Would you like this to be a Mike and Morrow event?" And we said, "Yes." And we're going to talk. We're going to get a panel discussion of people talking about the challenges as technical professionals trying to explain risk in non-technical terms to decision makers. So we're gonna um, um, we're gonna be uh, at Besides Calgary um, doing a talk um, with a panel. Uh, at least two of uh, the members of our community will be on that panel. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! That's cool. And uh, shout out to both Kyle and Nathan who are in the audience tonight. They are also giving talks. Go see Kyle's talk. Go see Nathan. Nathan is presenting. Uh, Threat hunting with PowerShell based on courses, a course that he and I taught um, a year ago. Um, Our course was three days long. I don't know how he's going to cram it into one hour. (laughs)
1: Dude, come on. Nathan's a miracle worker.
0: I'm serious, man. Uh, He'll figure it out. (laughs) Kyle, uh, tell us in the chat what your your talk is. Um, Anyways, uh, so that's one announcement. Um, The second announcement is... Uh, we have a spin-off project so um, I'm I'm a certified threat intelligence analyst um I like doing threat Intel and I like doing the analytical side of threat Intel and Alec who's a regular on this threat Intel live stream um, that's his job he's a threat Intel analyst um, at a, a major consulting company um, and he likes doing it too but it's very hard to to know where to go to get, um, uh, skills development in that. And then we were talking to some folks from the UFC's InfoSec club who were really interested in that analytical side. And in the club, they do a lot of, um, training activities and workshops that are about building technical skills, um, for programmers, pen testers, really fun stuff in CTFs, things like that. Um, So we decided, you know what, um, there's no place to go and get this training. There's no academic program. Um, The courses are bloody expensive. So we're going to do a a peer-led training program. And we're going to have two tracks. Um, One that is going to be small and intense, the peer-led part for people who want to be analysts. And then there's going to be another thing that's for general interest and technical interest. So, if you're a student, you're going to love that. If you're a professional who wants to know what thread intel is and how you can benefit from it, you're going to love the general. And what we're going to do is we're going to start some activities with this small group um, where we're basically just have meetings where we discuss what we're learning, try to do some projects to do our analytical side. But then, as a spin off, we're going to create workshops, live streams, and pre recorded videos for those with general interest or technical interest. So, if you like malware reversing, if you want to use MISP, if you want to learn about sticks and taxi, if you want to use Yara rules to search for indicators of compromise, we're going to do that as that technical general interest track. And then um, for those people who want to do analysis, taking data, wrangling your data, uh, profiling threat actors, um, trying to do all of the really hard stuff um, that also leads to How do you enable decision makers with your intelligence product? Um, That'll be discussion group and peer-led things. Um, I had intended to do a tutorial on what threat intelligence is as the ending of this thing and the kickoff of the new um, project. Oh, by the way, what's the project called? Um, It's called... Silex, the Cyber Threat Learning Exchange. There, I'm going to put it in chat. That's the best we could come up with. <laughs> Maybe I'll hold a co- well, contest you know for the best name.
1: I was going to say, you know, give me a week. I'll we'll, we'll yeah. rename it to like Fire Murder or something like that. Fire something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. um <laughs> So I think with that, we can wrap up and we'll be under the one hour for the first time cool, ever. Cool. We've okay, been warned at so, these side's, we can't go over. So <laughs> we
1: have to probably yeah, well, we'll, well, we'll go over and they can cut us off. I don't care. Whatever, right? No, I, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, uh, before we move on. So as I mentioned, uh, we got some changes with our live stream happening. So rather than doing a weekly thing, we're actually going to reduce this to probably twice a month maybe three times a month it'll all depend but it's gonna shrink from you know doing this every every week we may have some pre-recorded material that we will throw up on a weekly basis but for the most part yeah with all these initiatives happening we just felt that we're taking on a little bit too much that you know it'll actually we'll end up sacrificing some of the quality we have uh we've done for these shows so Uh, You could probably expect our next live stream to actually not be next week, but the week after. So we are taking gradual steps to kind of reduce the amount of time we do these live streams. So, but in exchange for that, uh, obviously, again, Michael mentioned that great opportunity to learn uh, and our discord is open for everybody. And I believe we're 55 plus people, I think in the, in in the, uh, in discord right now. So I would definitely encourage those of you who haven't joined to join, uh, you know, come say hi. You don't really have to talk. There are some people that just lurk and you know uh, are you know sh- you know peering over shoulders and things of that nature. But you know, at any point in time, it's a friendly community. No one looks down on you if you you know. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Uh, so by all means, please come join. Uh, be a part of the community. And again, if you're interested in learning about you know threat intelligence, as Michael had suggested. It's a chance to get get trained in that area because honestly, there really isn't any good material out there to learn it. And there, really there you is to,
0: if you've got ten thousand
1: <laughs> well, so. dollars. Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, if you're a student, or you know, if, if you're like me with an average Joe job, ten grand go, you know, it's like, well, I can use that to buy a car.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. um, so I've just dropped the Discord, um, for those who aren't a member, into the chat. So you can come and join us. Um, uh, one of the ways we're going to fill the void if we do Mike and Moro less often is, uh, and this has already happened, so Technical Tuesday, which is a live stream I had started um, in the spring, a lot of that is now community-led and in Discord. And so what I'm doing is opening up to the community. I haven't put up the form yet, but there'll be a place where you, if you have a topic that you'd like to cover or um, a discussion you'd like to lead or a demo you'd like to do or um, even it, like the way I used to do Technical Tuesdays, just explore it live on screen, um, Our platforms open to you to do that? And some people, um, you know, so Jared, Ryan, uh, uh, Mike and Neil have all done stuff in Discord where they've led a much more interactive version of what I've done on the live stream for technical things. Um, But some uh, people uh, now want to do it in live stream. If you want to lead something under technical Tuesday or whatever, um, absolutely. This is a community driven peer led. That's my new motto, peer led. Um, That's the way to do it. And so uh, if you want to get involved and you want to contribute to your peers, um co-opt this platform this steal this space um and and chris here's 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 my hint to you uh there's now two sate instructors in our discord uh yourself and andrew um maybe we need once in a blue moon you know when you're not marking and trying to race (laughs) to make your lab experiments work for your students Maybe like once every three months, we need a thing about instructors. Pure lead trying to help because labs are hard to do. Training is hard to do. Helping students is hard to do. And maybe we need a little bit of discussion around that, both professionally and technically.
2: Hmm, definitely. Yes. Um, Andrew and I are working furiously on updating our Security 2 course which is coming up in january for our first semester students trying to take in feedback and advice on what would a junior analyst need to know coming into work somebody fresh out of college and is looking for a job they want to jump into security what kind of knowledge would they need to know and that's what we're working towards at this point
0: um you know what i think uh, our community has a lot of people would like to help you um with all those things you struggle and I'd like to see you get some sleep someday. I've been an instructor <laughs> as well. It's uh, it's the tough life.
2: Um, I, I don't expect to sleep for eighteen years.
1: <laughs> hey, man, you're giving back. You're, you know, you're giving back to the community in a very good way. So, you know, kudos to you, and uh, yeah, congrats on the uh, on the teaching Thank
2: you. I know it's
1: <laughs> stressful, so <laughs> it's worth it.
2: I've got some excellent first year yeah, students yeah. right now, and they honestly they make it worth it.
1: Yeah, no, and it, 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 it is that, right? Because, I mean, you know, uh, although I've never taken it to that degree, I, you know, I've done a little bit of mentoring here and there, but, you know, uh, I've seen when, you know, I've met students that, you know, got taken under, you know, Michael's wing, for example, and it's like, holy crap, you know, it's like, woof, like they're just at a different level now. So when, when you see that, right, in a student, it, it's certainly satisfying. So Chris was one of them. Yes.
0: Now he's an instructor.
1: (laughs) See, there you go, man. Five years later. See, there you go. Pay it forward, right? Pay it It, forward. Exactly.
0: It's not the mentor, it's the raw material. That's right. right? That is what it is. Damn right. Damn right. Damn right. uh, Okay. So this is like the most random way we've ever ended a live stream just by. I know. It's just not ending. But (laughs) okay. I have one last thing to plug. And then we're going, I'm going to ask you each to say something clever before we leave. So start thinking right. about it now. Okay. So uh, it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And I would encourage each and every one of you to try to find something to do in your community to promote cybersecurity. If you're in education, learn what EDUCAUSE is. Uh, whether you are a student, a grad student, or an instructor, you have access to a ton of materials. If you're in a corporate environment, Find something to do. A lunch and learn, a poster, an email, do something. It makes a difference. Because right now, during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, everyone's eyeballs are on cybersecurity. It's on the news. It's in social media. And so people's attention are already there. And their attention's the hardest thing to get, especially in 2020. Oh, my God. Um, so... Um, My public cybersecurity and awareness talk this month is at Mount Royal, which I did last year as well. Um, I did uh, a talk that I have now since retired called Exploited, Seeing the World Through the Eyes of the Hacker. Um, um, uh, Angela McAllister from the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity is going to be talking uh, first. Um, I'm going to see if she'll come on the show. I don't know her. Um, but I think that's cool, but I have a, I just need to brag. That's all. I had to come up with a talk and, um, Bernadette who runs the IT security training program for IT staff at Mount Royal had put up this empty page promoting it because it's October. She kind of did this scary tales of, uh, um, internet terror was the theme. And I thought, Oh, you know, why have I never thought about it being leading up to Halloween. So I came up with this goofy talk, uh, the cybersecurity monster manual stopping things that go hack in the night. Um, I will being a librarian, I have to catalog things. So I'm going to catalog the scariest threats and talk about who the big bad is and how we defeat them. I have no idea what this talk is going to look like. But Mount Royal gets it first. Then I'm going to do another version so that um, everyone here and all the people in the UFC InfoSec Club can all see that talk too, which is going to be goofy and fun. And it's probably going to involve way more graphics than I have time to make. But <laughs> All right. That's the end of our live stream for tonight. Chris, what's your clever it's thing? Octob-
2: it's October. Don't click that link. <laughs>
0: excellent moro your parting shot uh
2: you know
1: what though i got I, I want to say a few things here uh so besides calgary i'm plugging them if uh you know you you could be anywhere this year it's virtual so i mean please uh if if, if you want to learn a little bit about cybersecurity uh google their google their page uh you can buy tickets and attend and again michael and i will be presenting um on uh, on risk basically our discussion on risk uh, with that, I'm going to say, uh, you know, knowledge is for, human knowledge is for everyone. So please consume, but also share. And with that, hack the planet.
0: <laughs> He's ended three live streams with that that slogan. So um, community is king. Participation is meaningful. It's how we're going to solve all of these problems. It's what the hackers do. So this month, it's your chance to participate. Thanks for watching. Oh, I'm so bad with these outros. Where is that?